Acts chapter 8. If you're there, would you say amen? Look with me now in verse 26, if you will, and follow me as I read several verses tonight, several verses. Notice verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. The Bible said, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasure, who had come and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He, uh, he was returning and sitting in his chariot, he read Isaiah the prophet. Now, of course, we know that to be the book of Isaiah. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before shearers, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Can I have an amen? That's a good place to take your text, isn't it? And he preached Unto him, Jesus. I found this out. If you'll preach about Jesus, you will never have to apologize for what you preach. He preached unto him, Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And I like verse 37. You don't come to Jesus head first. You come to Jesus heart first. Look what he said in verse 37. And Philip said... If thou believest with all thine heart. Ah, oh, salvation's a matter of the heart, friend, not a matter of the head. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. What a great, what a great story tonight. Leave your Bibles open here for just a minute. I want to talk a little bit about this story tonight. Let's pray. Father, would you bless your word and help me tonight as we look at this text together. And I just want to pray, Lord, that you would create in my heart. And, and of course, obviously... If you do it in the heart of others, that's good, that's great. But Lord, at least in my heart, create a, a heart's desire. God, cultivate my heart. May my chief desire in life be to see people saved. That's all that's going to matter when life is over. God, may you help me. God, may you, may you work in my heart and help me tonight. I pray that in the name of Jesus, your son. God, to see a, a desire to see people get saved, born into God's family, come to Jesus. Bless this text tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The book of Acts can rightly be summed up in only three statements. Now, there are 28 chapters in this great book, but we break it all down, 28 chapters. We can break it all down and just say, all right, here's the three things the book of Acts is about. In chapter number one, we find the Savior, the Savior going up. He had finished his work. He had died on Calvary. He had finished his work that God had sent him here to do. After his resurrection, he stayed on the earth for 40 more days. And then, as the book of Acts opened, Jesus catches a cloud and he goes back to heaven. We know that as the ascension of the Lord Jesus. He went up. He went back to heaven. And the Bible said that he sat down at the right hand of God, signifying the work had now been finished. That Old Testament priest never sat down. He was constantly on his feet ministering before God, offering up sacrifice, taking care of things there in the tabernacle. But Jesus, bless your heart, when he died on Calvary, he went back to heaven, and as our great high priest, he sat down. You know why? There was no more work to be done. Aren't you glad that salvation is God's completed work, and you and I can't lift a foot nor a finger to help God save us? It is the work of God. It has has been done. So in chapter number one, we see the Savior as he went up. Boy, I'm telling you, down here, the disciples were in amazement as Jesus, just gravity, lost its hold, and he began to rise up. Those disciples were standing there watching him just go up in the clouds, and I could see them to their amazement. Finally, the Bible said he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Wouldn't you like to have just been there that day to see him go up? And a cloud received him out of their sight. And the Bible said those men were standing there. They were gazing. Probably said one to another, where'd he go? He said, man, he's up there in them clouds somewhere. And immediately there were two men in white, angels, that appeared unto them and said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which was taken up shall so come in like manner. Brother, I'm telling you, he went up, but he's coming back again. Amen. Uh, the book of Acts is about the Savior going up. By the way, down here, they were watching him, but can you just imagine what happened on the other side? Can you just imagine the welcome as Jesus completed the work of God and he, and he went back to heaven and he said, open up your gates. And somebody cried, the sentinel cried, who is this Lord of glory? And, and, and the word of God said that Jesus received the welcome as he went back to heaven. The book of Acts is about the Savior going up. He went up. But then the book of Acts in chapter number 2 is about the Spirit coming down. Because when the Savior went up, the next thing that happened is the Spirit of God came down. In Acts chapter number 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Word of God said that Jesus had gone back to heaven and for 10 days the disciples had met there in the upper room and they were praying and seeking the face of God. And on the 10th day or 50 days after the resurrection, 50, is a, uh, the, the 50 days after the resurrection, the day of Pentecost, the word Pentecost means 50, 50 days after the resurrection, the Spirit of God came down in great power. And by the way, can I stop and say the Spirit of God Unlike Jesus who came down and went back, unlike God the Father who came down and went back, the Holy Spirit hadn't gone back home yet. The Holy Spirit is still in this world. Every once in a while you kind of feel him working just a little bit, don't you? And he's still in this world tonight. Now he's getting ready to leave, but when he leaves, the church is going to leave. Can I have an amen? And when the church leaves and the Spirit of God leaves, you talk about a time of anarchy upon this earth, but the Spirit of God came down on the day of Pentecost and he's still 
still here in this world working to this very day. So in Acts chapter 1, the Savior went up. In Acts chapter number 2, the Spirit came down, but then beginning in Acts chapter 3 and going through the rest of the book of Acts, we find the saints moving out. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's God's plan to this day. The Savior went up, the Spirit came down, and now the saints are to go out. You know, I think about those saints. I think about the, the saints of that day and the saints of this day. When the Holy Spirit came into this world, He came to empower God's people. He came to give us power, but he also came to embolden God's people. The thing, the reason the Holy Spirit came to this world is to empower us and embolden us as God's people to take the message of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the world. And God's never deviated from that plan. If you want to know why God has us here in this earth still to this very day, it is so that we might take the gospel to be unsaved. And God, ladies and gentlemen, has never deviated from that plan. You see, like these disciples in the book of Acts, you and I, you and I have a master. Our master is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Savior, but more than that, He is my Savior. But more than that, He's my master. He is my Lord. I don't tell Him what to do. He tells me what to do. I'm his servant. I'm his slave. You're his servant. You are his slave. We have a master. We also have a message. And our message is about our master, how loving our master is, how good our master is, how kind and compassionate and patient and long-suffering our master is. So we have, a, we have a master, we have a message, but we also have a mission. And our mission is to take the message of our master to the multitudes. And God's never deviated from that. It's our job. There is no plan B if this world is going to be reached. There is no plan B. God's plan is still for you and I who are saved, who are his servants, who are his sons. It is still God's plan for you and I to take the message of our master to the multitudes. Now, there are two ways that we accomplish this, this great mission. Sometimes we accomplish this great mission in a large group kind of a setting. That's Philip in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 5 and following. Philip is there and he's preaching there in the city of Samaria to a large group of people. He has organized a revival meeting uh, there in the city of Samaria. And no doubt people from all over the city and the surrounding communities are coming to the city of Samaria. And every day there in the city of Samaria, Philip is preaching. And, and, the, and the Bible said that people are getting saved because he's preaching the gospel in some kind of a large group setting. Now that takes place here every at Woodland every Sunday morning. That's we assemble together in the house of God on Sunday morning. And usually on Sunday morning, the message is geared more toward the lost because that's the, that's the one service that usually we have a lot of lost people in. Now, I'm glad if you're here tonight and you've never been saved. I'm so glad you're in church tonight because I have another opportunity as a preacher of the Word of God in a large group kind of a setting to tell you about the one who can take care of the needs of your life. Sometimes we accomplish that mission in a large kind of a setting. That's this morning I preached uh, the Word of God and I preached about failure and I told you Jesus is the one who can take care of all of our failures. He is the one who on Calvary's cross died and now God could look at us and say, hey, meet me at the cross. All is forgiven. 
Yes, sir. And I had the opportunity this morning in a large group kind of a setting. I don't know how many were in here this morning. I think we've got about 11 or 1,200 chairs in this auditorium, and not every chair was filled, but, boy, we had a pretty good crowd this morning. And I had the opportunity this morning to stand up and represent our church, represent you. And I had the opportunity to stand up this morning and tell men and women and boys and girls from all walks of life about the one who will take care, take care of the greatest problem they got in their life and that's their sin problem. I have the privilege to do that. Next Sunday if the Lord don't come and I still have good health and I'm still around here, I plan on doing that again next Sunday. Just standing up once again representing our church, representing everybody in here. I'm everybody in here's voice for that one Sunday morning and I have the privilege to tell everybody about the somebody who can take care of their sins. Yes, sir. Sometimes we accomplish that mission in a large group kind of a setting. But then more often than not, instead of a large group kind of a setting, we accomplish that mission in a one-on-one -on -one kind of a setting. And that's what we have tonight in our text in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26 and following. We have a one-on-one -on -one kind of a setting, one person sharing the gospel with another person, and that person getting saved by the grace of God. Now, look at me. I, I don't want you to feel that I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip tonight. But I'll tell you what, one of the things that we're really failing in in our day, I, I think, don't be mad at me here, and I'm not bragging on myself because it ain't about me, but we're doing pretty good in a group kind of a setting. Boy, the singing was right on point this morning, wasn't it? Boy, the choir did good, and the uh, special song was good, and the Spirit of God was here. People were jumping up, testifying, at least initially, till I killed all that and tried to preach. And it was good. I tell you what, we were on point this morning. I felt like the message, the Word of God, I felt like the Lord uh, was going to speak to somebody's heart. I, whether he did or not, I don't know, but it's not my responsibility for the results. It's just my responsibility to stand up and preach the message. And I felt like, I felt like this morning we were pretty much on point. But can I tell you something? The one area where we're really, really failing at is that one-on-one -on -one kind of a setting. One sinner telling another sinner about the Savior. And ladies and gentlemen, that's where there's a, great, there's a great disconnect in these days. I mean, man, the preaching's going on. The, the singing's going on. The worship is going on in the house of God. But the one place... Uh, that we're really, there's a real disconnect is that one-on-one -on -one setting. For instance, let me ask you, when's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody in a one-on-one -on -one kind of a setting? When's the last time somebody came to church here that you personally were responsible for getting here in this service? When's the last time somebody got in the baptistry and got baptized because you led them to Christ? When's the last time somebody walked down the aisle here and said, I come to make my public profession of faith in Christ? So-and-so told me about Jesus this week, and I give my heart to him, and I got saved. When, there's a great disconnect there. Oh, we're doing good in that large kind of a setting. We got it. I think we're moving things in the right direction. But the great problem is, what about that one-on-one -on -one kind of a setting? Can I tell you something? You can't improve on one-on-one -on -one soul winning. You can't improve on that. You can't improve on one-on-one -on -one witness. You can't improve on that. 
There's something about one person telling another person, one person seeing another person, one person witting, witnessing to another person. There's something about that that God honors. That's what the book of Acts is about. Yeah, the Savior went up. Yeah, the Spirit came out, came down. But when the Savior went up and the Spirit came down, the saints started moving out. And I mean people were getting saved everywhere. They were getting saved. You read those early chapters, they're getting saved on porches. They were getting saved on rooftops. They were getting saved down by the riverside. They were getting saved in the jailhouse. They were getting saved on the street corners. Sure, they were getting saved in the synagogues. I mean, they were getting saved everywhere. You know why? I'll tell you why. The Savior went up, and the Spirit came down, and the saints moved out. Now, help me. That's our, that's our lack in these days, the saints moving out. You can't improve on one-on-one soul winning. I heard about this one old boy who fell head over heels in love with this girl, and he just decided he was going to overwhelm her. So he decided that he was going to write her one love letter every day of the year. 365 days, he wrote her a love. Oh, he was telling her how much he loved her and how pretty he thought that she was, and, and uh, boy, how much he, you know, had intentions for her. And I mean, man, it was on 365 days, he overwhelmed her with love letters. You say, did she marry him? No, she married the mailman. <laughs> you know why? You can't improve on that one-on-one kind of a setting. Can I have an Amen. There's something about one-on-one, one person telling another person about the Lord Jesus. There's something about that. And that's what our text is about tonight. Here's Philip. Now, in verse number 5, all the way down through verse number 25, look at verse 25. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the... I'm telling you that that group kind of a preaching, that group kind of a setting, it was going on, and people were getting saved by the good grace of... God. They were getting saved by the multitudes there. But then in verse 26, the Lord takes us away from all that, and he carries us out into the the desert where there's going to be a one-on-one personal soul winner who's going to tell another person how they can be saved. Now, I don't want to go through all this tonight. My real point, I got three things I want to say in a moment, but if you look at verse number 26, here's Philip. He's there in the city of Samaria. He's preaching. And all of a sudden, verse 26, the Lord said, Arise and go toward the south. Now, wait a minute. God is going to jerk this old Baptist deacon up out of this hot revival meeting. He's going to take him out of all that, carry him out in the desert, and sit him down in a a setting where there's absolutely nobody at. You've got to know Philip's probably scratching his head just a little bit. I mean, one minute he's preaching to the multitudes. The next moment, the Spirit of God has led him down south out to the way of the Gaza, uh, to Gaza into a desert. He's probably sitting there scratching his head thinking, what in the world am I doing out here? And about that time on the horizon, there's a caravan that starts moving, moving across the horizon. And the Spirit of God said there in verse number 20, uh, verse 28, verse 26, somewhere in there, the Spirit of God said, Philip, go join yourself to that chariot. Now here is what amazes me. Look in our text. God had an angel to go tell Philip to get into that desert, but God didn't have an angel to go tell that eunuch how he needed to be saved. God didn't assign the angels with the responsibility of telling people how to be saved. God gave that responsibility to his children. Oh, I know God could have done, God could have caused the angels 
God could have given him that responsibility to come down and tap us on the shoulder. I mean, it would be pretty amazing if an angel showed up and all of a sudden said, you need to get... That's, that'd be amazing. But God didn't give them that responsibility. God didn't arrange the stars in the sky to spell out Jesus saves. Everybody needs Jesus. They don't say that. God didn't have uh, the animal kingdom, the cows to moo and the dogs to bark and the cats to meow. And, and uh, God didn't arrange all that through the animal kingdom. God expects me and you to tell people how to be saved. So he went, I like this, look at verse 27. And he arose and went, behold, a man of Ethiopia. And then it talks about him. He had been up to Jerusalem for to worship. No doubt when he got there, there was something he was looking for that he couldn't find in all the temples in the land of Ethiopia. I mean, man, he was hunting for something. There was something lacking. There was a hunger. There was an itch he couldn't scratch. There was a thirst that he couldn't, that he couldn't quench. There was a hunger that he couldn't feel. And, and, and he couldn't find that in Ethiopia. So he made up his mind. He was going over there. He heard about the Jews and, and about their God. And he went over to Jerusalem and he went over there to worship. And when he got over there, all he found was magnificent edifices. No doubt he, uh, he found a lot of ritualistic services. Maybe he found some rabbis teaching there in the, in the temple. He found all of that, but he didn't find anything for his soul. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to find what you're looking for in any kind of cathedral or edifice. It's not that, friend. Only Jesus, only Jesus can scratch that itch. Only Jesus can quench that thirst. Only Jesus can satisfy that hunger. And the Bible said he went up there and, and he didn't find any of that. Now, verse 28, he's sitting in his chariot. He's on his way back home. And then the Bible said, the Spirit said unto Philip, Hey, Baptist deacon. He said, hey, go near and join thyself to that chariot. And I like verse number 30. That old Baptist deacon started running toward that chariot. Run, deacon, run. Run, preacher, run. Run, Christian, run. Join. There's somebody that needs to hear about Jesus. Can I have a name? We ought to be in a hurry to tell people about Jesus. And the Bible said he went up there, and of course you know the story, and that old eunuch got saved by the grace of God. And then he got baptized. Boy, that's a good sign he got saved. He got baptized. I don't know about you, but I kind of imagine it's something like this. That old eunuch, the Bible said, he got there, that pool of water. And uh, he said, hey, can I get baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart. And the Bible said, that old eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they got down out of that chariot. Philip laid him back in that water. And when he brought him up, the Spirit of God just caught that old eunuch away. And that old eunuch, the Bible said, went on his way rejoicing. You know, getting saved will cause you to rejoice just a little bit, won't it? And he went on his way rejoicing. Now, I told you all that, tell you this. Philip was a soul winner. It was just a one-on-one -on -one kind of a setting. Philip told what the eunuch, what he needed. It was one of those divine encounters. You know something? I think we would have more of those divine encounters if we went looking for them. Don't you? I mean, if you look there in verse number, where does it say there in verse number, I don't know, it says something here, Philip beheld him. You know what? I think Philip was out there in that desert. He was looking for somebody to tell about Jesus. If we would go to our jobs every day, and boy, I tell you, where I work at, there's a lot of heathens around in the church that need to be. I'm kidding. But if we'd go to our jobs every day looking for somebody to tell about Jesus, I mean, if our intentions were to go to work that job, and our intentions were this, we're going to get paid 
to work to tell others about Jesus. Wouldn't that be something? You know why we don't have a lot of opportunities to share the gospel? We're not looking for them. Am I, am I right? We don't go looking for them. Our, our attitude is, I'm going to work today, I'm going to work eight hours, I'm going to make X amount of dollars, I'm going to get in the car, I'm going to go home, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to watch this, I'm going to mow the yard, whatever. I'm going to, that's our attitude. But our attitude, boy, would it not transform our life if we got up every morning thinking, man, I'm going to go looking for somebody to tell about Jesus today. Can I have an amen? And he did that, and God honored that, and he got saved. Now, I want you to look at me. Here's the message, and I'm through. Can I tell you something? Every day of our lives... We're soul winners. Every day of our lives, we are soul winners. Now, let me see if I can prove that to you. Can I tell you something? You won people to Jesus this week. You, I'm sorry. You won people this week. You won some souls this week. Did you realize that? You, this week, everybody in this room, won some souls this week. Let me tell you how that works. First of all, sometimes we win people to places. We win them to places. What I mean by that is we'll go somewhere and we'll have an experience there and then we'll come back and we'll start telling others about the experience that we have in so much that it creates a desire for them to go to that place. And we want them to a place. Several years ago, it's probably been three or four years ago now, we were getting ready to go on our vacation, my wife and I, and it's so much more fun now to go on vacation with just me and her. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I love my kids and my grandkids. But we were getting ready to go on vacation. I'd been preaching down in, in Burlington in Revival that week down at uh, Bible Baptist Church down there, and I was so excited. I got things. You know, normally before you go on vacation, you spend a lot of time prepping for it, preparing for it. So I had already, the weekend before, I had to wash the cars, clean them. I, I'm terrible at washing cars. I think the dirtier they look, the more manly it makes me look. You go out there and look at my truck, has got mud on it. And, and here I am, a little old wimpy Baptist preacher, but when people see me, they go, man, that guy goes mudding right there. No, he just ain't washed his car in the last six months. And I'd wash the car, I'd vacuum it out. I'd put the armor all on the stuff in there, it was shiny. I'd sprayed some stuff in there that somebody gave me, maybe Brother Jordan. Or Boy, I was ready to go. I'd already done my pack and I was ready to go. And don't you know, and we were excited about it, don't you know, one of them hurricanes moved in down there and uprooted every plan that we had. I was so upset about that. So I already had somebody come preach that Sunday morning, so we just got up Sunday morning and couldn't go. I mean, it was a hurricane at the beach, and we couldn't go, and so we came to church here that Sunday morning and Sunday night. That man that I'd asked to preach, I let him preach both services that day. And then Monday morning, we got up, and we were sitting around, and man, it was just, it was like, man, can't go, what are we going to do? I told my wife, I said, we're going somewhere. I said, the clothes are packed, the car's packed, car's clean. I said, we're going to go somewhere. She said, where are we going? I said, we're going to go somewhere we ain't never been before. She said, where are we going? I said, we're going to go to the Outer Banks. Now, let me tell you, that hurricane had moved in down south, like Myrtle Beach and that area down there, and up north, up this part, they didn't bother anything. So we just, we got the car. She said, you're going to carry the gun. <laughs> My wife's always worried about the heat. And she said, and I have started carrying guns with me now when I go preach revivals and stuff. Not that I'm some big John Wayne, shoot em up kind of a guy, but if somebody's going to come in that room, me hollering them not to come in, they're going to have trouble getting through the door. 
I don't want to kill anybody, but if it's kill or be killed, I'll kill. Can I have an amen? If it's shoot or be shot, I'll shoot. I've got what I carry with me. Uh, Miss Ella, not long ago, gave me this thing to put under the door. It's an alarm, and you can put it up under the door and cut it on, and if anybody even brushes up against that door, that thing's going to start screaming, and I'm going to start shooting. <laughs> and we'll ask questions later. Can I have an amen? So I told her, I said, we're ready to go. She said, you going to carry the gun? I said, I, I get, if you want to. She said, you better be sure that gun is unloaded. I said, honey, this gun ain't got no bullets in it. I popped the click out of that. She said, are you sure? I said, honey, I'm sure this thing ain't. And I pulled the trigger, and there was a bullet in the chamber. You better know it. I still get a little bit weak-kneed telling that story about that. Because <laughs> I thought, oh, my goodness, if I'd have been pointing that at her. I shot a hole in my new recliner. Down at the bottom of that recliner, there's a hole in it right now that I shot in that recliner because I thought there was no bullets in that gun. So we took off and went out there. Now, we, uh, we, 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 the first week we stayed in, in a place called Corolla, North Carolina, and I really didn't like that too good. But the next week, one, one of those days while we were there, and I'll hurry, but one of those days while we were there, we got, somebody said, you go up there and run off the road and you can ride on the beach and there's another little town up there. So we got in the car and we rode up there. And to our surprise, man, you just rode on the beach. Of course, you got a Jeep, man, you're going to, it's, it's great anyway. So rode, on, rode all the way up there. And while we was riding up there, I had to stop because there's a bunch of horses just running down front of the Jeep. It was unstinking believable. I told her, I said, next week, if there's a house up here we can rent, we're going to stay up here at this place. And so, so we went back, and I found out, sure enough, there was a house there. So we rented that house, and the, and the people told us now, look, you got to pack all your groceries and stuff before you go, because it's like 12 miles, and you can only go about 20 miles an hour on that beach. And you can't go at high tide, because the water comes all the way up. Said, you better pack all your groceries, all the stuff you're going to need there. So we did. We packed everything in the car we needed, and we went up there, and, and I mean, you're just stuck there. When you get there, you're just stuck there. Ain't nothing to do. Only thing to do is go to the fire department and buy ice cream sandwiches. So every night after supper, we went to the fire department, bought us an ice cream sandwich, took the top off the Jeep, and rode around looking for them horses. There's no paved roads. There's no street lights. It's unbelievable. We'd go hunt them horses down, ride over them dunes. They were heavy. You know where it had rained? They were big old mud holes, and I'd just run through them mud holes with my Jeep, throw water all over the top of us, man. It was, we had a blast up there. I came home. Boy, we were telling our kids about that. Guess what? Next year, my kids took off up there. I want them to a place. Every week of your life, you go to some restaurant, Boy, I'll tell you, the service is great. Boy, service ain't good in much restaurants no more, is it? But the service is great. They bring bowls of food. I'm, I'm telling you, bowls this big. You set them on the table, and it only costs you $5 to eat all that stuff, and they give you them doggy bags to carry home the leftovers. You come back and say, I'll tell you, you got to go try that place out. Next week, here they go. You want them to a place. Every week, we win people to places. Watch this, number two. Every week, we win people to products. You ever thought about that? 
I mean, maybe, maybe it's some of you ladies and, and you tried this detergent out and boy, it got all the dirty stains of your husband's T-shirt out of them. And you come over here to church and say, I'll tell you, man, I got this detergent over here and it lifted out all the stains. Somebody said, I'll tell you, next time I go to the grocery store, I'm going to get me some of that detergent. You want them to a product. What about this, ladies? What if, there was an, uh, what if there was a cream at CVS that you could put on your face and it'd take all of the wrinkles away? And you went up there and you got it. Somebody said, you know, you sure are looking younger. Yeah, ain't I though? Yeah. What's changed about you? Well, I'll be honest with you. I tried this cream that I bought at Chick, not Chick-fil-A, <laughs> CVS. I bought this cream at CVS and I rubbed it on my face and every one of my rings, it's like somebody took an iron. And just died. I tell you, I can't, I don't know what it was. I guarantee you, she will, right after church is over, she'll run to CVS and get her some. You want her to a product. What about this, us men? We win people. What, what about this? I hate, does, does it not bother you when you're weed eating and the string's always breaking? Does that not bother you? I'm, my weed ear is supposed to be bump. You bump it, the string shoots out. But somebody forgot to tell it that when you bump it, the string's... So I have to stop and undo the cap, pull the string out manually. And then I'm weed eat a little bit, and then it'll break again. I've got to stop and pull the cap off, pull the string out again. What if you went to Walmart and bought this, this string that'll cut through a chain-link fence? Somebody said, oh, man, I went over there. said, I bought me some, uh, this weed eater string. It's over at Walmart. It ain't very much. I cut down a tree this big. Didn't even break my string. Every man in this room would be on his way to Walmart after church tonight to buy some. You'd win them to a product. Now, y'all know I'm a Jeep man. I, I got Jeeps. I got, uh, I don't see how many Jeeps. I got three Jeeps right now. I used to have four, but I got three Jeeps. If you come to my house, it ain't hard to figure out which house I live in. Look for the Jeeps. I'm a Jeep man. I've won all my children to Jeeps. I sure hope I've won them to Jesus. Used to, not now, but used to when, you, when all my family got together, they were, they were six Jeeps sitting in my front yard because all my children have, uh, drove Jeeps. I won them to Jeeps. I wonder if I've won them to Jesus. Win them to products. Win them to places. Win them to people. If you start having plumbing problems tomorrow and you call, oh, I'm going to just make up a name, George the plumber, and he comes over to your house and unstops your drain, you say, how much I owe you? He said, well, normally a, a customer calls $100, but he said, you know something, I feel good today. $5, I'll take care of it. Then your friend starts having plumbing problems. You say, I called old George the plumber, and he come to my house and said, oh, I'm going to give him a call quick as I get home. You want him to a person. Every week of our life, we win souls. Why don't we try winning them to Jesus? I mean, we win them, we experience things, we get excited about it, we get enthused about it, we come back, we'll just tell them everything about it. Best thing ever happened to me is when I got saved. I tell you what, getting saved is better than going and look at them horses up yonder and eating ice cream at the fire department. Hey, getting saved is better than anti-wrinkle cream because the wrinkles are going to come back again. Getting saved is better than cutting through a 
five-foot oak tree with a chainsaw string. Can I have an amen? Brother, we win people every week. Why don't this week we set about to win them to Jesus? Can I have an amen? You can't improve in that one-on-one kind of a setting. God has stamped his approval on that, and you can't improve on it. I heard one time I had a preacher friend. He was arguing with another preacher. He was a Calvinist, and he was arguing with another preacher, and the preacher was talking about soul winning, and, and his, friend, his friend said, uh, you know something, I just can't get that out of the New Testament, that getting everybody saved. That, my preacher friend, no. He said, no, you can't. It's in there to stay. And can I tell you something? The only reason it ain't happening, excuse my English, it's just because we ain't doing it. Oh, we do good in a group setting, but what about that one-on-one? Why not tonight pray, God, tomorrow, help me to find somebody to witness to. You'd be amazed in the doors that would open up right before your very eyes if we just change our perspective. I'm not going to work. I'm going to witness. Can I have an amen? Oh, yeah, give your, give your boss man eight hours. Yes, sir, we need to do all that. I'm for all that. But when's the last time you witness to somebody? When it comes to soul winning, silence ain't golden. It's just plain yellow. That ticks some of y'all off, and that's the reason I do it, because it makes you mad. Somebody said, I can't believe he watches Clint Eastwood, and he gets up in the pulpit. That's why I say it, because it makes you mad. If you'll laugh about it, I'll quit saying it, because I know it don't make you mad. I'll have to find something else that makes you mad. Now laugh. You know that's funny. Let's bow our heads before I get in trouble. Father.